it's great to see everyone here today. And for those who might not know me, my name is Donna Barker, and I'm an elder here at the church. And I'm just um, very pleased to be here today and just so pleased to see so many of you. Uh, it's great that we're getting back to a little bit more normal. Um, let's just say one more word of prayer. God, please help me to speak clearly your word and please open our ears and hearts to your words of truth and love. Amen. A study recently published by the American Psychological Association reported that the onset of the pandemic was associated with increased strain and disorder within many households and these changes increased parent-child conflict and sibling conflict and decreased paternal-child intimacy, sibling intimacy, and sibling disclosure. In China, they've found that the pandemic has led to unprecedented divorce requests, and researchers have also noted a surge of domestic violence in families throughout the world and in some countries, an increase of 75%. So we're presently living in a very strained time for families, for marriages, for partnerships, for friendships, for households. I wonder if you felt the strain in your household and in the relationships of those of the people that are closest to you. The passage that we're looking at today concerns our family and others within our household and those with whom we have daily interactions. The passage is a tough one. It's an unpopular one. And when James asked me to speak on it, I'm like, I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, I uh, decided to take up the challenge and God has taught me through this time. So I hope that uh, you're encouraged as well. So it is a passage that gets many people angry or annoyed or just plain thinking that the Bible is irrelevant for us in Canada in 2022. But let's look at our passage today. And we do have a slide. It's Colossians 3.18 to 4.1. I'm sorry it's so tiny, but I'll be reading it. So, uh, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So this scripture really sounds like husbands can order their wives around uh, and that slavery is condoned. And so what do we do with this? Well, as with all scripture, but especially these passages that are so challenging for us, we need to look at the context in which it was written 
so that we can maybe better understand why Paul would write this and then be able to apply it for us today. I also recognize that those that are listening to this sermon, either here today uh, in the room or online, are living in many different living situations. And this passage may not seem relevant to you at all. You may live alone. You may live with a friend or friends, with a spouse. You may live with a spouse and have children, or without a spouse and have children, or with extended family. And it's interesting that Paul, who is the writer of this letter to the Colossians, actually was not married, had no children or slaves. However, he did have close personal relationships and interesting living situations that sometimes included prisons, prison guards, fellow prisoners, fellow evangelists, those that he mentored, and Paul knew and dearly loved a slave named Onesimus, who actually was from uh, Colossae. And we read about that in the book of Philemon. The interesting thing that I thought as well is Paul was a traveling evangelist. And back then, um, you would stay in people's homes. And so imagine he would come and stay at the homes of people in the various churches. And so he knew what went on in many of those homes and what happened in those families. So let's look at the context for this passage. The church in Colossae consisted mostly of Roman households. At the head of the Roman household was the father. And as you guessed it, he had power over his wife, his children, and his slaves. Greeks and Romans were actually skeptical of religions, including Judaism and Christianity because they attracted the allegiance of women and slaves and treated them equally as members. And therefore, these religions were thought to destabilize the family and also then the state. In our passage, but in our passage Paul is providing an alternate perspective by focusing on love within the husband-wife relationship rather than the legal rights that Rome had given the man. Regarding slavery at this time, it's been suggested that there were as many as 60 million slaves in Paul's day. It's hard to believe. Many of the slaves were captives taken in war and were actually more educated than their masters. Slaves in the Roman Empire were considered members of the larger family unit. They worked in the home, and they worked on the farms. They, uh, there was no code of working conditions. When a slave was no longer able to, be produ to produce for them, he could be thrown out to die. He didn't have the right to marry. And if he had a child, the child belonged to the master. Can you imagine? As the Roman government had noted, the early Christian churches did have many slaves in membership, and everyone was created equal, no matter your gender, your role, or your social status. And in the church, slaves were allowed equal privileges as their masters. Paul treated the slave with dignity, and you can be sure that he did not condone slavery. So in the case of marriage and slavery, Paul is providing an alternative Christian perspective to the normal 
Roman family culture, although he's not going so far as to restructure uh, the Roman household. But he is focusing on the law of love rather than the rights of people, the legal rights. He stressed responsibilities in relationships rather than rights. So let's look at a second aspect of context, and that's where this passage is within the rest of the book of Colossians. If you remember James's message from many weeks back about the theme of the book of Colossians, the theme is Christ at the center. And James spoke from the passage Colossians 1, 15 to 29. So we need to remember that it's the theme of the whole book, Christ at the center. And last week, James also read and spoke about another passage, that's Colossians 3, 12 to 14. And that's also part of the context that we need to look at when we're looking at our passage. I've, um, I love the message version, as I've said before. Um, and so I have uh, put it up here in the message version, and I'm going to read it for you. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, or patience. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. So that's a great list of attributes that make up the life of love and remind us, actually, don't they, of 1 Corinthians 13. And I guess that's not surprising because Paul wrote that passage as well. So we have to remember Christ at the center and living a life of love are two important aspects of the context of our passage. And there's just a couple other verses I want to note for you before we talk a little bit more about our passage. And that's in verses 15 to 17. And verse 15 says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Verse 17 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So our context in Colossians, Christ must be at the center. We need to live a life of love. And this passage tells us that the peace of Christ needs to rule in our hearts and we need to be thankful. So when we get to our passage, Paul is just really making this practical for us and talking about doing these things and being these types of people in our um, daily lives, in our homes, and in our work lives. One other thing I want to note is in Colossians 3.11, it says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So Paul is reminding us again, we are all equal in, in the body of Christ and in Christ. And this was true in Paul's day, and it's definitely true for us in our day in 2022. However, if you think about it, in our homes and in our workplaces, there are inequalities in power, authority, and vulnerability. 
And in our passage about household, Paul gives us guidance on how to approach relationships of unequal power in our daily lives. And I do want to state that I personally believe that there is equal power in a marriage relationship. Um, and uh, <laughs> But I don't want to get into that argument, and I didn't want to preach on that. So we're going to look generally at our daily relationships and not at the specific relationships within this passage, meaning husband, wife, parent, child, master, slave. Uh, I also want to mention that the commentaries that I read said that uh, this master-slave situation, we could translate to our work situations um, uh, wherever they are for us today. So we're going to do that. So let's consider how we put Christ at the center, live a life of love, peace, and thanksgiving, within our home and work lives. And Paul outlines basically two scenarios. One is when you're the one in authority, and the other is when you're the one under the authority of someone else. There are mutual responsibilities and duties in these unequal relationships, whether you're a spouse, parent, child, boss, or employee. In these relationships, we need to live up to our responsibilities rather than focus on our rights. And as we look at these two scenarios, you can think about your own situation. When are you one that has some authority? And when are you someone who's under the authority of someone else? In most cases in our daily lives, we have both of those situations happening. So on this slide, um, this is uh, when you have some amount of power or authority over others, that's the one on the left, and I'm sorry the black doesn't show up very well, but um, the one on the left we're talking about where you have some amount of power or authority over others. And what are we instructed to do in those circumstances? From our passage we read that we should not embitter or alienate those under your authority and don't be harsh. We're to provide what is right and fair. We're to remember that we're all equal under God. And we're to love. And you'll notice that the first two points are action-oriented. And the next points are actually uh, about attitude. And one commentator I read talked about a gracious use of power and also said, all of us who are responsible for leading or training others must remember one thing. Our authority and power exist for the sake of others, not for our own sake. So if we're in power or have some authority, we need to do the right thing for the right reason. So when you're in authority, it's not about you, it's about others. A wonderful example for me of gracious use of power in the workplace came when I was about 19 years old. And I uh, worked as a Toronto District School Board summer school secretary. Um, it was at a school, a summer school, where um, a deacon in this church, I guess how I got the job, a deacon in this church uh, was the principal. Um, I have to say, on a daily basis, I saw this man not only do his own job, 
with a tremendous amount of love and compassion for the students, including the student that I remember the name even, who at least twice lit fires in the garbage bins out the back. And we knew he did it, and yet this principal still showed him a lot of love and patience. But this principal also sought out opportunities to show kindness to me and others as employees. And there was more than once that he came out of his office to help, to offer to help me with my secretarial duties when he knew I was really busy. I also witnessed him help the custodian clean up the hall when a student was sick multiple times. I saw tears in his eyes as he spoke about his concern for some of these students. And I've never forgotten what he's taught me, not with his words, but with his actions. He was in a position of authority and power, but daily practiced humility, kindness, and compassion as if he was working for God rather than the TDSB. He put on that love garment every day he worked at that school, and I can testify to that. So that's when you're in authority over somebody. But on the right-hand side, we see when you're under someone else's authority, what are we to do? We're to be sub submissive and obedient, as is fitting in the Lord. And I do want to emphasize, as is fitting in the Lord, meaning that if someone's asking you in authority over you to do something illegal or harmful, that's something that's probably not fitting for the Lord. We are to have sincerity of heart and reverence for God. We're to work with all our hearts as working for or serving the Lord. And here again, we see points about actions and attitudes. We're called to have a consistent respect for authority and work sincerely and earnestly. And we have this word submissive. Submission in our passage means technically to yield one's own rights. Ephesians 5.21 tells us, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it's not just wives submitting to husbands. We're, everyone is to submit to each other. But what does that mean for us? We, we live in a society that's very much me-oriented. We treasure and fight for our autonomy, our rights, our freedom, our comfort. Sometimes we think that certain rules don't or shouldn't apply to us and that we have the option um, to listen or obey people in authority. Our society often equates submission with weakness, but really it requires an awful lot of strength. And it is, uh, if you're submitting to those in, with whom you have a close relationship, it's really an act of love. I was really struck when Joel Zanting spoke to us. Do you remember? That was a few weeks ago. And he was telling us that there were four generations living in his household. I forget how many people he said there were living there, but four generations. And he told us about the sacrifices that he had to make with so many in his household with all of their needs and desires. He talked about, and I quote, taking the high road sucks. He talked about how difficult it was to apologize to his family for mistakes he made, but he also spoke about the fact 
that he knew that this experience was achieving kingdom fruit in him and joy in others. He gave up his rights. He submitted to those within his household. He, could, he gave up his rights to a lot of space in his home to meet the needs of his extended family, and that was definitely an act of love. I noted that the attitude of humility comes into play whether we're in authority or whether we're under someone else's authority. And I read an interesting definition of humility in the Christian context, and that is humility is the process of channeling energy into the work of God for others. I'm going to read that once more. Humility is the process of channeling energy into the work of God for others. Being humble also recognizes that we're not perfect, that we're not yet who we need to be, that there are areas in our lives where we might not know as much as we think we know. And I thought of myself, and as an example, I just love being organized and efficient, and I think I'm really good at it. Um, but I also recognize that if you live with me or work with me, this can actually be quite annoying and I can seem quite bossy. Um, I, if I don't, if I perceive anything to be disorganized or inefficient or I don't see the rationale behind it, then I, I really struggle. I regularly have to remind myself that this is pride and selfishness and that my way is not the only way and that my way might not even be the best way. Others have different perspectives, different information, a different rationale, and I must be willing to listen and discuss others' opinions with an open mind. And sometimes, even after I listen to someone at work or in my home, I still might think that my way is the better way, but actually there's nothing wrong with their way. And or maybe it means a lot to them <clears throat> to, to do it their way. And so I submit to doing things their way. I, I must say though, that if I really think that my way is the best way, I'll spend quite a bit of time telling the other person why that's the best way and hope that they submit to me. Um, so anyway, that's just uh, an example of, of submission. And I just wanted to say a few words about kindness in our homes and at work. And as you know, kindness makes such a difference in our world. It's really a tool for encouragement and love. And it absolutely made my day a few weeks ago when I was shopping at Shoppers Drug Mart. And it was 20 times the optimum points. And if anyone knows me, that's another thing. I love to get um, a bang for my buck. So it was 20 times the optimum points. And I came to the checkout with two full grocery carts of stuff. I have to say, often when I do this, I do this fairly often, um, the, you know, you see this sort of, oh, from the cashier. Um, this cashier not only smiled at me, she ensured I got the best price for everything. She was patient. She engaged me in wonderful conversation. She, uh, she basically called another person to help me with these carts of groceries that I had because she was concerned about how I'd get to the car. 
there was another person in line who also offered to help me. And she had been waiting with, you know, here this woman with two carts of groceries at Shoppers. Um, and it just made my day. Can I tell you, it really made even my week. And I still think about the kindness of that woman. It's, it's just really makes your day. It was interesting because I read an article recently talking about a study that showed that con kindness, of course, has a positive inf impact on those that receive it. So Donna Barker at Shoppers Drug Mart. But also, uh, research is showing that the, it has a, such a positive effect on the person who actually showed that kindness to another. So I was thinking about, you know, sometimes we talk about these random acts of kindness that we do, like we pay for someone else at, at Tim Hortons, a stranger we don't know. But do you practice random acts of kindness in your home? In, at your work, it's a challenge for us. We should do that, encourage others in that way. Growth is part of life, and none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We disappoint others. We disappoint ourselves. But as you put on that garment of love with all its attributes and honor your responsibilities and your relationships at home and work, you will grow in love, just like Joel Zanting said he was growing in love with the sacrifices he made. What you do in your home, with your family, with your housemates, will spill over into the rest of your life. Become more like Christ in your home so that you can more easily and readily demonstrate Christ's love to those outside your home or workplace. I do want to mention that it's an unfortunate reality that not everyone's home is comfortable or safe. And for many reasons, some might have a difficult home or work situation, regardless of how kind and compassionate and forgiving they are. No one should live with harassment or abuse. And I encourage you, if that's your situation and you don't know what to do about it, to talk with James or to talk with one of the elders, Bill, Rita, or myself, um, and we would be happy to pray about that, but also to help you and to see uh, what we could do for you. Um, as we close up, I want to read Romans 12.1, again in the message version, so that it's not so familiar in our head and we can um, maybe think of it in a different way. And here's what Romans 12.1 says in the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday life, your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. So every day of your ordinary life is an offering to God at home, at work, and he's longing to see that garment of love on you. I have one last slide as a reflection tool. Here's the garment of love again and all its attributes, but I've added that peace and gratitude, that peace and thanksgiving to it. And around it are pictures of home, school, work, our everyday lives. 
And as you look at this slide, I encourage you to think about your own situation, your everyday life, the people with whom you live and work. Who do you have authority over and who's under your authority? Are you always wearing that garment of love? What attributes do you need to work on? Are you honoring God in how you live up to your responsibilities in these relationships? Will you place these relationships before God as an offering to him? I'm just going to give you a minute or two to think about your own situation, and I will mine, and then I'll pray. Dear God, help us to remember to put on the garment of love each day at home and in our workplace or school. We place our daily lives before you as an offering. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>